Thanks, everybody. Good to be here. I do appreciate that World Cup tip. That's, that's big. Anybody else watching the World Cup? Like, I'm not, I, like, I like soccer, but, like, then the World Cup comes around, and for some reason, like, I just can't get enough. It's the best. Um, hey, so I know we gave Kelsey a lot of, like, props, and it's good to have the risers back, and it's good to have Pastor John back from Mexico, but Thursday night was really cool. Not to feel, make you feel bad that you weren't here, uh, but Thursday night, like, I felt like a proud dad. So Kelsey was leading, and imagine the stage minus the risers, but plus two of our other high school volunteers, uh, one being my wife. Um, so that automatically kind of made it pretty awesome. Uh, but it was basically like our high school ministry up leading worship, plus John on drums and Matt singing. Uh, it was pretty cool. It was really cool, actually. Um, hey, so we are starting in a new series last week. Uh, Chris kicked us off. It's called Mixtape. Verses that we groove to. And uh, that just kind of got me thinking. So a couple weeks ago, I was out on a agape tour with our high school students. And what we do is we rent vans. And I am fortunate enough to drive one of the vans. It is a treat, let me tell you. And so what I do in my van is I do something interesting with the music. Uh, we take the aux cord, and we just kind of pass it around the van. So one person gets to pick a song, then the next person picks a song. And we create our own little mixtape. Uh, and I was introduced to something on Agape Tour that I never thought would be a thing. Uh, it's called Kids Trap, Wholesome Rap Songs for Kids. Um, a couple of titles from that album, let me tell you. Go Play Outside. <laughs> I Love Reading Books. Whoa, It Feels So Good to Share with My Friends. And everybody's personal favorite, I love my mom. So uh, Chris got to share one, a clip from his favorite song last week, if you remember. It's pretty great. Uh, so I figured I'd just give you a little taste of I love my mom. Can we hit that? If my mom tells me to clean my room, I clean my room because I love my mom. If my mom tells me to wash my hands, I wash my hands because I love my mom. If my mom tells me to be really quiet, if my mom tells me to brush my teeth, I brush my teeth because I love my mom. I love my mom. I love my mom. All right, you can cut it. <laughs> no other point other than like that's kind of entertaining, right? Like we went through the entire album. Album two, check it out. I love my grandma. Also equally spot on. Um, Go check out some kids' trap. Like, I, I don't know. If you have kids, it's a winner. Even if you don't have kids, like, super entertaining. You learn things, too. Anyways, um, really good. So that's what I've been grooving to lately. Um, spiritually, what I've been grooving to are the books of First and Second Samuel and uh, the story of King David. Uh, last time I was up here uh, sharing a couple of months ago, uh, I shared with you guys uh, that Lindsay and I have been trying to have a baby, uh, and we are still on that quest. We're about a year and a half in at this point, and just shared just like there's been times when it's been really hard. There's been times when it's been really good, just like God just working on our hearts and uh, just like trusting him. Uh, but one thing that's come up lately is we've been asking the question like, what's that fine line between waiting on God, waiting on his timing, and like using our wisdom and taking action. What's that fine line between waiting on God and taking action? See, there are plenty of alternative methods to procuring a child. 
Uh, there's a couple of different medical procedures you can do. There's adoption. There's fostering. It's walking by the nursery after church and picking one up. Apparently, they're low-staffed. Um, so, uh, like, there's, there's plenty of other opportunities. And we found ourselves asking this question. By this waiting time, like, is God telling us that we need to do something? Or is this just in our heads? Do we just not want to wait anymore, and so we feel like we need to make something happen? Um, so I don't know if you guys have ever experienced a time like that in life when you've been waiting on God and just trying to figure out, wait or act. Um, I, uh, yeah, you might be even in a situation like that now. Um, waiting on a new job, waiting on a new home, waiting on a new baby, or maybe it's just waiting on a new season of life. Like you're in a season right now and just like ready for it to be done and ready to move on. Um, it's just been cool over the last couple weeks and months. Just feel like God's been giving us um, some really good scripture and giving us some really good perspective. Um, and really just wanted to share just kind of that, share our hearts, share what God's been doing in me, um, and just share a little bit of uh, hopefully perspective from, from some scripture. Uh, and hopefully it's a good takeaway for you guys uh, this morning. Uh, three takeaways from today's scripture. Number one. I'm convinced that God wants us to do more waiting on him than we're comfortable with. Number two, uh, God can certainly use our action as a catalyst. However, the question is, does he actually need our action? And number three, wait or act, there should be lots of praising and lots of seeking. Wait or act, there should be lots of praising and lots of seeking. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it's encouraging for you this morning. Um, if you're in one of those waiting times of life, um, before we dive in, let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, God, I just thank you for a chance to be up here. Uh, thank you for a chance to dive into your word together this morning. Um, Lord, I pray that you just get me out of the way. I pray that you'd be speaking to hearts. Um, God, that you'd be meeting us all where we're at. Uh, I pray that you use the story of David, the story of Jonathan. Um, God, to just move in us and stir in us. Uh, God, we want to wait on you. We want your timing. We just want to follow after you with everything that we've got, God. Uh, we give you this morning. We love you, and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so a little bit of background. Israel really wanted a king. They wanted to be like everybody else, and so God's like, all right, I'll give you a king. Gave them Saul. Saul looked like a king. He acted like a king. He kind of had it down, and he started really, really strong. However, things went downhill pretty quick. Uh, because of his pride and his selfishness. Uh, really, it, it was more about Saul than it was about God. Uh, and that turned to just blatant disobedience. Obviously, God does not enjoy blatant disobedience. And so what he decided to do was remove Saul as king. So he removed Saul as king. And he anointed David as king. However, just because he anointed David as king didn't mean that David was recognized as the king by Israel. He wasn't. It took a long period of time before he was actually recognized as king. So in the meantime, he was put in God's waiting room. Uh, I've entitled the message today, The Waiting Room. Um, what, what emotions does that invoke? When I think of waiting room, I immediately think doctor's office, like getting ready for my physical exam. Uh, but when you hear waiting room, like what does that bring up? Uh, on the count of three, I just want you to like make the noise that personifies how you feel about waiting rooms. One, two, three. Uh, that's good. Yeah, good. Excellent. That's accurate. Waiting rooms are the worst. They're the absolute worst. Time stands still in waiting rooms. They have like that funny doctory smell. 
uh, and you know that people are just looking around, like looking at you, like, I wonder what that guy's got, you know? Like, you know that's what they're thinking. That's Jerry Seinfeld. That was a good one, I thought. Uh, but waiting rooms are pointless. Like, there's no point to being in there. It's just wasting your time. Like, nothing good is happening in the waiting room. You're just wasting your time before you get into the doctor, right? Wrong. I think that's how we view God's waiting room, is waiting to go in for a physical exam. However, I think it's more accurate if you're in the waiting room to go in for surgery. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have ever had surgery before. Uh, I've had a few. Um, most recently, I got surgery on my right ring finger. Uh, I was playing flag football in a men's flag football league. Went to make a, a tackle, went to make a, a flag pull as somebody was running at me full speed. Got like the super jam action and it hurt real bad. And so I came over and I like pulled on it because I thought it was jammed and that hurt pretty bad. And then I taped it up. I went back in there because men's flag football on Saturday afternoons is a big deal. And uh, went back in and I played a possession of offense, played another possession of defense. I pulled another flag and I had the shooting pain just all the way up my arm. It was at that point that I was pretty convinced it was broken. Uh, and I'd have broken fingers before. So what I did was what you do with any broken finger. You just throw it in a splint and you wait. Four to six weeks, bones heal up, you're good to go. Around three or four weeks, uh, finger was not looking very good. It was like stuck straight. It was super fat in the knuckle. And uh, yeah, I was like, this isn't good. So I went to the doctor, got an x-ray, checked it out. Apparently, I had successfully split this bone in half, which is pretty impressive if you ask me. And uh, one of the sides had, had turned a little bit, and it was healing incorrectly up at the joint. So what they had to do was they had to go in, they had to break it all apart, they had to pin it together with two little screws. Um, yeah, pretty enjoyable. Uh, physical therapy, the whole deal. But when I went for the surgery, I went in and there was a couple of different waiting rooms. The first one, you go in, you get all your information taken down, they take care of all that in the computer. Then you go, you get your gown on, you look all fancy for surgery. Then you go into the next room and they mark up your finger so that they do surgery on the correct finger. And then after that, they go in, you get your anesthesia and knock you out, you go in, you do the surgery. What if I would have just arrived at the hospital, marched on in, sat down on the surgeon's table, ready for surgery? How would that have gone over? Not very great, right? Uh, I would not have been ready for surgery. I would not have been ready. How painful would that surgery have been if I would have just went in and, and did that? Uh, more importantly, the doctor wouldn't be ready. Like, it's his domain. The hospital is his domain. He kind of works everything together so that he arrives at the right time, everything is set up, ready to go for surgery. Um, I think we view waiting times in life sometimes as just waiting for a physical exam. But really, we should view it as waiting for surgery. Like, that preparation time is so vital. So vital. Have no idea what God, have no idea what the doctor is doing behind the scenes to bring everything and work things and get things together. Uh, and I think what we're going to see from David's story is it wasn't necessarily just about David waiting. Like, God was doing something in Saul as well. Um, so it wasn't just about David. No idea the preparations that are going on behind the scenes to get you ready. Uh, like I said, David's waiting room experience was super long and super intense. His initial appointment was for 1025 BC. 
That's when God had Samuel uh, anoint him as king. That's seen in 1 Samuel chapter 16. He was in God's waiting room till 993 B.C. That's when David was officially recognized as king over all Israel. And that story is found in 2 Samuel 5. If any of you are really quick at math, this is 32 years. 32 years David spent in God's waiting room from the time that he was anointed king to the time that he was actually recognized as king. I'm convinced that God wants us to do more waiting on him than we're comfortable with. We're going to pick up the story in year number 20 out of 32. If you guys want to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel 24. Uh, it's 1005 B.C. Like I said, 20 years after David was anointed as king. So in the last 20 years, David has killed Goliath. He was hired by King Saul. He was placed in charge of the army. Super successful. He's seen a lot of success out in battles. The girls start swooning. People start writing songs about him. Uh, and Saul doesn't like that. Like, he gets kind of jealous because it's all about Saul, right? And uh, so Saul tries to kill David. And uh, we are going to see, uh, we're going to kind of pick this up. Saul is about to try and kill David yet again. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. Ready? Here we go. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. All right, I know there's a lot going on, and we'll kind of dive back into to the story so that we're all on the same page. But first of all, I have a question. As I've read the story, I've heard it before, one of the first things that came up in my mind is why did Saul's men not go in to check out the cave, right? Does anybody else's mind go there? Like, this is the king, right? Your king is going in, like, to this shady cave. Like, I would imagine you'd go in at least, like, pop in, look around and stuff. Uh, so that question has always come to mind. Um, I got a chance to go to Israel this past uh, winter, and we got a chance to go to Qumran, not quite in Gedi, but Qumran and Gedi are both on the west side of the Dead Sea. Qumran is up towards the north, and Gedi's kind of in the middle of the Dead Sea, both over on the west side. The terrain looks very similar. I have a couple of pictures to show you of Qumran, uh, and I know that's hard to see. We're going to zoom in a little bit, but I just wanted to give you a feel of kind of the terrain. See that cave there? And then on the next slide, um, you can kind of see there's a bunch of little, like, holes, crevices. Um, again, I know it's hard to see from a little bit farther back. But all those little holes, like, those are caves. There are caves everywhere. 
There are caves everywhere in this part of Israel. Like Israel in general, there's caves everywhere. This part of Israel especially. There are caves absolutely everywhere. So there's no way the men were just going around looking for David in all the caves because that would take years. There's no way they could do it. Impossible. So the fact that Saul was going in to relieve himself, I don't know if he just like, I've done this plenty of times. I'm just going to hop off my horse, get in there and do my thing and didn't even wait for his guys. I don't know if his guys ran in there and did the, yep, you look good, good to go. But there are so many caves. The odds that an enemy would be in that specific cave are astronomical. They're astronomical. Um, Tommy, would you come on up, my friend? So I just like to kind of see what's going on. Just visuals help me a lot. So Tommy, can you just come stand right here, uh, right in the middle of the stage? Perfect. And just kind of do a little squat down right here. Perfect, perfect, perfect. <laughs> so Saul is relieving himself, not relieving, relieving himself. And I think that's important because he's there for a little while, okay? He's there for a little while. Saul relieving himself. David's men back in the cave, freaking out. Oh my goodness, this guy's trying to kill you. He came in this cave. We are here right now. He just came in. This is crazy. David sneaks up. Okay, this kind of like came to my mind too, like figuring out the logistics. Would all of you guys just mind doing like a murmur, murmur, murmur? <laughs> oh yeah, like that kind of thing. One, two, three, go. That's decent. That's decent. All right. Good enough. Good enough. Okay. So there's 3,000 men outside the cave. 3,000 men outside the cave. My guess is they're pretty loud. Okay. So David sneaks up undetected, cuts off, gets out of there quick because who wouldn't, um, but doesn't harm Saul. Doesn't harm him. Thank you, Tommy. That was awesome. You're the man. Um, Tommy, everybody. Tommy Knapp. Uh, doesn't harm Saul. If you've heard the story before, you think, yeah, David's a good guy. He wouldn't harm Saul. David, he's David. Um, however, I would argue in this moment, it does not make sense for him not to kill Saul. We have the benefit of the doubt. Looking backwards, we've seen that David later, about 12 years later, becomes king. He's king for 40 years. His reign is incredibly successful. He gets everything accomplished that he needs to accomplish in those 40 years as king. Not anything about the fact that he had to wait these 32 years takes away from his reign as king. I would even suggest that the fact that he had to wait 32 years to become king adds to his reign as king because he was patient, he waited on God. Nothing about his waiting took away from his reign. However, in this moment, David has no idea what's going to happen in the future. In this moment, it does not make sense to continue to wait. In this moment, it makes plenty of sense. You could absolutely justify killing Saul. David could be king tomorrow. A couple of reasons why you could easily justify killing Saul in this moment. Number one, back then, this is kind of how succession was done. Okay? If you've got a group of followers behind you, you want to be king, kill the king, follow me. Boom. That was how it was done. Number two, Saul is trying to kill David. That's the only reason he's out here today. Saul is coming to kill David. It's self-defense. Just kill Saul and your threat is done. Number three, it's a no-brainer. 
he came in this cave, the very cave that David and his men were in. It's got to be a sign. It's got to be a sign. I could be king tomorrow. The odds were astronomical that Saul came into his cave. Just because you have the opportunity to act does not automatically mean that you should. When we're in waiting times on God, we've just been processing through this ourselves, Lindsay and I. When you're in waiting times on God, just because you have an opportunity to act doesn't automatically mean that you should. I, uh, I graduated college a number of years ago with a business degree, and I was doing the job search thing, applying for jobs, trying to get all that figured out. And I got this job offer at a finance firm, great job offer. In that moment, logically, it made plenty of sense to take that job. It made a whole lot of sense to, to take that job. However, there was just like something that wasn't right, like deep down, like deep, deep down. There just like a little thing that just wasn't right. Um, and looking back, it's easy to look back and see, well, God was doing something else. Um, if I would just wait on God in that moment, he had something better. Uh, granted, it took a couple of weeks and months for that plan to fully be realized, but ended up uh, moving out to L.A., being part of a church plant a few years later, uh, coming over here. I met my wife in the process. Um, I'm so glad that I did not take that finance job right when I graduated from college. It just wasn't right. It, like, I knew that God had a better plan. Like, looking back, I know God had a better plan. Um, but I think it, sometimes in those moments... It's easy to act out of fear, especially when we're sitting there waiting. It's so easy to act out of fear and just snatch that first thing. Now, I'm not saying that God does not supply opportunities and show you that you should take, because I think there's absolutely times where you're in a season of waiting, God shows you something, that's it. Thank you, Lord, that's your provision. We're moving, like, I'm taking this because this is you, God. But I think there's also times when we're sitting, we're waiting on God, and something comes up, and there's that, like, I don't know, this, do, like, this doesn't feel completely right. Like, God, is this from you? I don't know if this is from you, God, but we'll snatch it out of fear. Um, I think that God's best is worth waiting for. I think that God's best is worth waiting for, and that sometimes he wants us to do a lot more waiting on him than we're comfortable with. I think David got it. David knew that God was more than capable David knew that God was more than capable of making David king whenever he wanted. Whenever he wanted, David, God could have made David king. But he knew that God's best was worth waiting for. How about you this morning? Are you convinced? I don't know if you're in a season of waiting, but are you convinced that God is more than capable? Are you convinced that God's best is worth waiting for? Um, I'm not saying that it's easy. Uh, I don't think waiting is easy. I know waiting's not easy. Uh, everything in our culture is against waiting. Like, we want the fastest, like, we want the, the quickest speeds. We want as little waiting. We want to be as efficient as possible. Like, I get it. That's built into us. And I'm not blaming culture. That's just where we live and the, the time that we live in. Um, but do we give more credence to that, to our desires and not wanting to wait? Or do we give more to uh, waiting on God's best? For some of you, maybe what you need to hear this morning is just that God is more than capable. God's best plan is worth waiting for. It's worth waiting for. Um, 
Maybe I've started irritating some of you dads and enabling some of the lazy people out there. I don't know. Uh, but I wanted to share another story from 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 14. You don't need to flip back. I'm actually going to put it up on the screen for you. Uh, we're going to see just a story here of Saul's son, Jonathan. Uh, and I think what we see from this is that God can certainly use our action as a catalyst. But the question is, does he actually need it? God can use our action as a catalyst, but does he need it? A uh, little brief background. So we are rewinding a number of years back, okay? This is even before David was anointed as king. Uh, and what's going on is Israel is surrounded and outnumbered by the Philistines, okay? Surrounded, outnumbered. They're in trouble. They're hiding. The Israelites are hiding in all these caves, all these cracks. Like, they're hiding out of fear. They, like, they're doomed. And we pick up the story here. Jonathan has an idea in 1 Samuel 14, Verses up there on the screen. Jonathan's idea is this. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men, the Philistines. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. In other words, let's do something. Let's get up there. Let's start climbing. Like, let's just get to action and maybe God will come behind and use it. And sure enough, that's what happened. Jonathan uh, and his armor bearer, they start climbing up. The Philistines see him down there. They get up to the Philistines, take on 20 guys. Takes on 20 of them, knocks them down, done. And then God throws the rest of the army into a panic. The entire Philistine army that's all surrounding, in a panic, run away, they flee. Israel saved, woo! Like, amazing, right? Like, how cool of a story is that? Um, I heard that story. I was like, that's awesome. But then, I don't know about you, but I feel like we can kind of get in our heads a little bit and start asking the question, well, do I need to act? Like, I know I'm in the season of waiting. Do I need to act right now? Like, maybe God will do something with it. Do I need to act? Um, but here's the important question. Do you think that God needed Jonathan to go up and start climbing up in order to like help Israel win. Do you think that God was up there like, oh man, I hope, I hope somebody starts doing something because otherwise like I, like I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like man, Israel is doomed if Jonathan doesn't start climbing up and take on those 20 guys. No, that's ridiculous. God could have thrown the Israelite army into a panic at any moment, whenever he wanted. Now, in this moment, he decided to use Jonathan's action as a catalyst. He did. But God did not need Jonathan to act. He did not. I feel like sometimes in our waiting times, we feel like, man, I just need to get out there and make something happen. And the correct answer is no. God does not need you to make anything happen. Now, to clarify, uh, again, I don't want to irritate dads and enable lazy people anymore. Um, I am not endorsing laziness by any means. The Bible, the Lord, very clear about laziness, against laziness completely. I understand completely that in order to get a job, generally speaking, you need to get out there and apply. I understand that in order to find a home, generally speaking, you need to get out there, be looking for homes, searching for homes. I understand, generally speaking, in order to have a baby, you need to things. And then, like, you can't. You have to get to the waiting room itself, okay? You can't get prepped for surgery 
sitting at home on your couch, eating Cheetos, watching Netflix. You have to get to the waiting room. I get it. But once you get to the waiting room for surgery, don't start confusing yourself about who is running the hospital. Don't get confused about who is actually doing the surgery. Doctor doesn't need you to do a whole lot once you get there. Doesn't need you to do a whole lot at all. Um, I think Jonathan got it as I look, as I look back. Uh, back to this verse, he says a couple of things. Perhaps the Lord will act. Nothing will hinder the Lord from saving. Like he knew that God was the one doing it. He knew that he wasn't bailing God out. So I think for us, it's important to understand that we are not bailing God out in any of these waiting room situations. Um, for Lindsay and I, um, in our situation, like the act of getting off the couch to the waiting room is not the worst. Um, but after that, God does not need us to do anything. God does not need us to do anything. My God is the God that can send the Philistine army into a panic whenever he wants. Whenever he wants. He does not need me to start climbing up the hill. My God can give a job, can give a house, can give a baby whenever he wants. None of those things are outside of his ability or control. Um, my wisdom will never trump God's wisdom. My wisdom will never trump God's wisdom. And another cool thing about God is that he's never been late. As I was thinking about this, God has never been late in the history of humanity. I've never seen him late in my life. I've never seen him late in scripture, ever, not once. He's said no before, and that's a whole other thing. But God has never been late. He will never be late. If you're in a waiting room in life, uh, can I just tell you that you're good? That God's got it? He is 100% more than capable. His plan is worth waiting for. Now, I apologize because points numbers one and two kind of ended in the same way. So if you feel gypped, I apologize. Um, and I know that I still haven't answered the question, okay, well, when? Like when to act? Uh, and we're getting there. Hopefully this helps a little bit. Uh, we're going to close with uh, looking at the heart of David. David was one of the most, uh, he was described as a man after God's own heart, one of the most godly men in the history of mankind. And we're going to take a look at David's heart as he's in his waiting room. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 57. And again, you don't have to flip there. Um, I'm going to read it for you. Um, but this is David's heart in the cave. David's in the middle of his waiting room in the cave, and we're going to see what he says. Would you guys do a favor? Uh, do me a favor and just close your eyes. Um, I just want you to imagine just David in the cave. He's being hunted. It's been 20 years since he was anointed as king. 20 years. He's supposed to be the king. God, where are you? This is so confusing. I thought I was going to be king, and here I am. I'm being hunted like an animal. I'm scared. I'm here in the cave. What in the world is going on? I want you guys to listen to these declarations that David makes. They are incredibly, incredibly powerful about how steadfast he is, about how much he honors and worships and praises God, even in the midst of his waiting. Um, I don't know where some of you are at this morning in life, uh, but I have a challenge for you. As I just read this passage from Psalm 57, 
you're in a waiting room and this heart of David is the heart that you just want, like, I just want to declare this heart to you, God. This is my heart. I know I'm waiting, but I trust you in it. If this is your heart in Psalm 57, would you just throw your hand up in the air and just declare it along with David? Just declare it. God, this is my heart. Um, and this is not for me, I promise. I am going to be looking down at my uh, Bible reading. This is between you and God. So if you need to declare this along with David, then do it. Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to the God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down and amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. I love this part. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. That's a man after God's own heart. David's waiting room was not easy. It wasn't. Guaranteed his waiting room was harder than mine. Guaranteed his waiting room is harder than yours. But yet, this is his response. Steadfastness. Thankfulness. Overwhelming praise. I don't think that God, like, intends for us to enjoy the waiting periods. I really don't. I don't think he's up there just wanting us to, like, I enjoy every minute of this. Because, like, David didn't enjoy every minute of it. But yet he wants this heart, like, this coming to him, this crying out. This like, I'm thankful to you. I'm steadfast. I will praise you regardless of the waiting period that I'm in. That's the heart that God wants. Answer the question of when to act. Um, I found myself just kind of asking this question too a number of times. So God, when, when, when do I act? Like when do I need to get my Jonathan on and start making something happen? And I felt like he just kept, he, he said to me, Josh, will you just keep asking? Would you just keep coming back to me and asking? If I say wait now, it doesn't mean wait forever. Will you just keep coming and, and asking me? Because at some point, that act is going to be a, yeah, Josh, come and, come and walk in this way. Come and act in this regard. He'll make it clear. On the other hand, if I start moving, because I, I'm, just, I'm just really feeling Jonathan-like, if I start moving, if I continually like, come with open hands before him, He'll tell me no. He'll, he'll, he'll let me know. Our God is not a God of confusion. Our God's a God of communion. Our God is not a God of confusion. He's not up there thinking, man, 
Josh better do what I want him to do, even though I'm not really like giving a whole lot of instruction at this moment. He better figure it out. He's not saying that. He's got a communion. He wants me to come with this heart. He wants me to come with this heart of David and just keep coming back to him. Let's do this together. That's what he wants. I, uh, I have a fun little story that just happened last week. Um, it's just neat to see how God kind of works things together. I have, I have a little nephew and a little niece. And uh, Lindsay and I were over at her parents. I was over at my in-laws. And Sam and Anna are their names, the little nephew and niece. And uh, they had planted a couple of pumpkin seeds uh, months ago. And all of a sudden, recently, this little pumpkin pops up. And, um, and they were really excited about it. They were really excited about this little pumpkin that had popped up in the backyard. And so uh, Sam ran out. Like, they just like looking at it and just want to like be around the pumpkin. Sam ran out and was just really excited, and Anna was inside with me and the rest of the adults, and we were just talking to Anna. I was like, we have to pick the pumpkin. We have to pick it. And uh, we're like, Anna, um, pumpkins can get a lot bigger than that, and they can get orange. Um, And uh, if you let it grow, if you wait for the pumpkin, it'll get bigger, it'll get nice and big and orange. And she's like, you see like the inner struggle. It didn't want to. And uh, Sure enough, we had just kind of finished the conversation, and in walks Sam with the pumpkin. <laughs> and I have a little picture of Sam and Anna holding their pumpkin. Um, but just this, like, little thing, and uh, nice and green there in the front. Um, and I was like, oh, man, isn't this us? Isn't that us? We don't, we don't want to wait. Like, I'm excited now. Like, I just want it now. My timeline says now. But, man, if we would just wait. We would just wait for God's best. Um, That's what he wants. He wants to bless us. Like he doesn't want to give us the green little tiny pumpkin. He wants the big orange one. We would just wait. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, God, just thanks for your word. Thanks for um, just for speaking to us, for not wanting to leave us in confusion, God, Uh, but just wanting to just commune with us, just wanting to be so close with us, God. Lord, I pray that you just um, give peace to hearts, uh, hearts that are waiting. Um, Lord, I pray that there would just be a steadfastness uh, in Agora Bible Fellowship. God, that we would just be steadfastly patient and trusting and waiting on you. God, we know that you're going to give us what we need when we need it, and we trust you with that, God. Uh, Lord, we just love you. Help us to wait on you when you want us to. Um, Yeah, we love you so much, and we're just thankful for a chance to be here together. Uh, this morning and in your word. Uh, God, we worship you now because you are worthy. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.